everybody. When you hear that great song, you know it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. And as I said last week, that's on the no side of baseball. We got Craig Kishan back. He's so nice to keep going on these. And, uh, man, do I miss baseball. What about you? I'm sure you do, too. Uh, just a little bit, Jamie, just a little bit, my friend. It's uh, good to hear your golden pipes again. And uh, I, I really thought maybe by now we'd have a better clue what was going on as far as getting baseball back. But it's, uh, it's sorely missed by so many people, especially, you know, like since I've wandered around with the weather getting better in Wisconsin and, you know, more people are out. It's, uh, it's one of the first things they say is they just miss having the game on the radio to listen to, miss having the game in the evening to look forward to, to watch. And, um, you know, we're, we're hopefully getting there, but it's, uh, it's a big hole in the heart right now. That's for sure. That is for sure. What are you hearing in terms of, uh, the rumor mill grumbling in, uh, the great state of Wisconsin? Well, it's, uh, you know, I wish it was something really significant. Um, but, you know, everyone is just kind of holding on, you know, with patience still trying to figure out, you know, what is going to be, you know, the smartest thing going on here. And it, there's just so many scenarios. But it, it seems to me now that we're in the, the first days of May here and there's no baseball truly in sight right now, um, I think the thing that they're probably moving towards now with some states opening up is just trying to organize a, a spring training version number two to start, you know, in uh, June perhaps. And it seems to me that they're targeting playing games probably the first week of July. I've heard July 4th might be a good date, Independence Day, to independently and separate yourself from this coronavirus. We'll see, but um, it's amazing to me because we're only in our first few days of May and to think that we're, we're still likely two months away from playing for real is something. But they'd, they'd take the regular season, you know, through October and, and they'd make plans for neutral site games in November for playoffs. And, and right now it seems that scenario is the most likely one if we can get to that point to get players together for another version of spring training in June. Have you had the opportunity to uh, visit with any of the active members of the Brewers? Yeah, uh, this past week was, uh, was uh, a big week for, for me for part of the shows that we're covering and, and um, our relationship with the Brewers, with our Fox television and whatnot. But uh, we had a chance to catch up and, and get some thoughts from, you know, the Brewers front office, um, Craig Council as well. And, and it's interesting, you know, they're, they're chomping at the bit as much as we are but you really get the sense when you talk to them that they're at a point right now where I would guess just from what, just based on the conversations we've had that, you know, it's a mental grind right now for them. It's, it's their job, it's their career. Um, and the uncertainty of all of this planning, um, I think mentally right now is clearly everybody's greatest challenge who's involved directly in the game of baseball. And it's right down to the players. I, I would guess that there's some, you know, concern about how the players are going to come back and be able to react and adjust because there's going to be an adjustment to the rules, to the schedule, 
to their everyday life of how they've gone about their business, things are going to change. The routine's going to change and, you know, that can affect your psyche a little bit. So, um, that, that's kind of, that's kind of the feel I got this week. I mean, yes, everybody misses the game, but I think there's, you know, there's that draw now of, you know, the uncertainty becoming a norm and who wants to live that way. And I know we all have, but, you know, if you narrow it down to the sport we're talking about, it's it's a pretty tough situation for those guys. Well, <clears throat> it is, and if you uh, you know if you look at the statistics, uh, if if we are in fact socially distancing ourselves, it doesn't seem like uh, we've turned any corner. I think everybody wants to imagine that we've turned a corner and say that well, most of it's in either major cities and meatpacking plants, nursing homes. But uh, wherever it is, I mean, it doesn't seem, if you look at the statistics, it's like, you know, everybody is, uh, you know, wildly optimistic and, and that's all fine and good until, you know, nobody minds much about guinea pigs until they're the guinea pigs. So I don't see the, uh, you know, the players are chomping at the bit, but I don't know. I mean, I still think the only thing that's going to get baseball back is, this is a shot clock of life and the shot clock's going, ticking away. And at some point, if they don't get going by the all-star break, you can, as Shelby Whitfield said in his book about the senators leaving Washington, kiss it goodbye. Yeah. Well, I think there's, there's some truth to that. Um, you know, I, I, I think the other thing, you know, as far as the economics of this goes and the pressures of getting it back, um, you know, at what point do you say this just isn't worth it now? Uh, when, when you know, like, what, what if in July they said this isn't worth it now and states start opening up and, you know, the health situation's turning for the positive and then we've got the rest of July, or we got August, September, and October, where you think, well, we could have been playing. We could have played uh, an 81-game schedule, you know, cut it directly in half and, and had a mini playoff because the rules are, are going to change. The playoff format's going to be different this year no matter what. Right. Um, that's, that's the thing that, you know, gets me, Jamie, with, with all the cancellations. Like up here uh, in Milwaukee and Wisconsin, every single – event big or small is canceled through the month of august and i'm thinking to myself it's it's the first of may it's the first week of may and and we're we were we're wiping out our future for entertainment for leisure for our psyche and yes it's you know part of the pandemic and stuff but it just that's what's stunning to me that we could, you know, we're at this point too with pro sports who we're thinking, you know what, it's probably not going to be worth it. Let's wipe the slate clean and not get together for baseball again until February of 2021. It just doesn't make sense to me to, to cut it off even in the next month or two when you could still salvage something and, and make it a mini version. But, you know, stranger things have happened, you know, but the, it, is, it is very disheartening to see everything canceled here for the next three months already, almost four months, you know, when they started doing this stuff in April, it's, it's stunning. It really is. Yeah. And you've got, you're going to have a lot of different dichotomies in, in going forward. You can have the, uh, the guys that are, you know, 
locked into an eight-year contract for a lot of money, they're going to go, hey, you know, is it really worthwhile? Do I really want to leave my family? How are we going to do this? Versus the guys that say, hey, man, I'm, I don't want to lose a year away from my, you know, I've got a limited time to play this game anyway. I want to get back out there. And then you've got the NFL. What are they going to do? You've got the uh, pro golf and NASCAR that are supposedly going to start up again. Once the PGA gets going, there's going to be a tremendous pressure on every other sport to get going any way you can. And I think ultimately, uh, I don't agree with it, but, you know, nobody asked me. I think that uh, uh, the risk of injury, the, the, it's going to be such an artificial environment with no fans around. And, um, you know, nobody knows. So I think because the time's running out, um, like we all like to procrastinate as long as we can, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that the, uh, my hope of spring training in May is probably moved to June. I would rather see <clears throat> start up at the all-star break or at 81 games and play half the year like it, nothing happened instead of this, you know, three divisions, somebody came up with two mini divisions in each division, have a round robin, we won't call it the World Series. But, um, you know, I guess it's better than going to a movie. <laughs> well, it is. And I, I'm telling you, man, I, I, I know sometimes you see uh, different sides to all of this, but I'm telling you, when when any sport gets cranked up and something is finally live on television, I get it. There won't be any fans. Even even when this golf event takes place that's scheduled, um, I'll be really interested to know what the TV ratings are, how many people are watching, how many people are clamoring for something to watch that's live, a live event. I mean, movies and shows and binge-watching Netflix and all that kind of stuff, that's just entertainment, you know, for to actually watch a true live competition again. Um, I, I think it's going to, I think it could change our world, my friend. I really do. Well, I just watched the uh, 2019 European Masters and I thought it was, you know, could have been live for all I know. There are fans out there. Uh, I never heard of half these guys. Sergio Garcia was there, John Rahm. And I mean, nobody watches, well, some people maybe on the Golf Channel watch that, but this could have been, if they hadn't told me it was from 2019 and that there was uh, COVID-19, I'd have gone, well, this is just every bit as exciting as, as it's been on TV in the past. But uh, no, I hear what you're saying. Is Fox giving you any indication? Are you going to go to spring training? Are you going to uh, wait to see? No, zero indication on anything. I mean truthfully zero indication there the only the only thing that i know is that uh collectively as a television group that um we are chomping at the bit like everybody else and and we're we've all been told and been contacted to say you know keep yourself healthy because we're going to need you when we get this when we get going again you know everyone's going to get back to work and you know nothing's been there's nothing guaranteed of course and and uh there hasn't been anything specifically laid out but there has been you know enough contact you know from them to say you know keep healthy uh be smart uh stay patient and you know we're gonna we're gonna need you when we all get back to you know organizing our coverage to do these games so 
you know, it, it's not the most encouraging thing in the world, but I guess it could be worse too. So, um, you know, we'll be ready to roll. That's for sure. Have you watched any live baseball from Taiwan or Korea? No, not at all. I've heard those leagues are up and cranking and they, you know, take their temperature five times before the game and five times during the game and five times, you know, it's to me, I like spring training. It's going to see if they do get cranked up, it's going to seem like never ending spring training. I guarantee you. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure it is. And they're, you know, they don't know, they don't know what to do with some of this stuff yet as far as, you know, how they're going to test guys and what, what's going to happen when – here's the biggest hurdle I think, you know, they've got going on too is, is what's going to happen, you know, when you get your first star like Kristen Yelich or Mike Trout. What if they tested positive for this? Right. You know, what do you do? <laughs> you know, you, you say, guess what, um, we, you go on the two-week DL – uh, or the two-week 19 DL or whatever they want to term it because it's COVID. And uh, then what do you do with the rest of the team? You know, you, do you tell them to keep playing and we're just going to keep testing you every day? I think the tests are going to be there. Uh, I think it's just who's comfortable with this. And, I, right. and I, that's where I go back to, you know, if you're going to put a 1,000 players together and, and tell them to go play and, and – Several of them are going to test positive for this, the way things are going right now. They may not show any illness, but it's that, that mental part of the, the guy next to them that is completely healthy, that has tested negative. Um, how comfortable is he? You know, or is this an all-in type thing right now? And I think that's why we're seeing such great hesitation from a lot of the leagues. I think the NBA right now has taken a giant step backwards and that's one league right now that obviously wants to play, but that they might be the first league to say, we're done. We'll just concentrate on, on next season when this thing passes. Yeah. I mean, it sort of sounds like they're pretty close to saying that. And then yeah. you get into the uh, group, some of the, you know, the, the groups that are more at risk, people that are my age. So what happens to the – does Dusty stay home, but, uh, you know, Craig Council can go manage? And, yeah. Uh, what is – you know, I'm sure Dusty probably doesn't care, but you're right. What happens if, if one team all of a sudden is affected by it and uh, they have to stop playing? I, I don't know. I just think I'm perplexed because, to me – I know that we all want sports, but you know, if I were, if I were Chris Bryant, if I were Christian Yelich, if I were Ryan Braun, man, I don't know what they're thinking. I guess. Well, and and let me let me take it a step further and paint paint uh, a more vivid picture of what life is like when when you're an athlete. Um, imagine being in the clubhouse with an expanded roster and a coaching staff. So you're probably talking 50 people in a clubhouse at one time and you're prepping for the game, you're in the game. And then after the game, it's shower time, it's training time, it's therapy time. Um, There's going to be a lot of closeness during this pandemic that didn't exist because these guys were separated and the season was suspended. 
you know, uh, sharing the same bathrooms, sharing the same showers, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can't get stuff done one at a time, six feet apart in that scenario. It just, it doesn't physically exist. So those are, those again are, are some of the comfort levels, some of the mental hurdles and all that kind of stuff that, you know, you and I aren't faced with that. Most people aren't going to be faced with that, but these guys are. Yeah, I mean, pregame meal, postgame meal, uh, holding a runner on first base. Um, you know, the, the pitcher, the uh, batter, and the catcher are by definition not socially distancing. Uh, you know, it's. Um, <laughs> I yep. think that's the best thing we can hope for is a vaccine and a therapy before next year. So it works. Exactly. I, and I think that's why, I think clearly that's why leagues are like, you know, there's there's no point of doing this, you know, let's just bag it. We haven't had it for, you know, two months and we all, the whole country and the whole world understands this scenario right now. So let's just, let's just bag it and, you know, stay healthy, let, let the vaccine be developed and, and go from there when that, when that point reaches and hopefully it is for everybody to be on schedule for the following season in all sports. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Contrast that with the two billion dollars that you know for the uh, basically for the playoffs. So again, will the money win out? Probably. Um, and you know, maybe these guys as guinea pigs, they'll get through the playoffs and nobody will have gotten sick. I don't know. Is that a risk that the union wants to take, or that ownership wants to take, or that you know? It's interesting. The major league met to tell the teams what they do with the ticket revenues that they had already gotten for this year, including, yep. uh, including money from me. The, uh, well, first of all, they would only agree to a, a refund through March. I mean, through May, which is weird. So they're not conceding that fans won't be able to go in June, which seems a little crazy to me. Uh, since there isn't any baseball that really is going to happen in June. And then, like, the uh, the Cubs will give you a credit or a refund, and the Royals only a credit. They won't give you your money back. So each team's handling it a little differently, it sounds to me. But Yeah, for sure. And, and this, is, this is where it socks the small market clubs like Kansas City and Milwaukee and stuff. Um, because when, when you're that small in this big world of New York, L.A., and Chicago, um, you're, you're really counting on 30 to 40% of your ticket revenue, your concession stands, your team store. I mean, that, that's a lot of cash that, that is instantly gone. And, you know, it's, uh, it is interesting to understand that some clubs – are not offering their money back, but are offering a credit. I think the brewers are offering all those options as I understand it. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm a paying customer, if I'm like, if I'm you and somebody's going to give me an option to get my money back, I think I'm taking that money right now. And if you want to sock it away and, and make your own, uh, bank account to say, I'll, I'll save this for next year. That's what I would do. But I, I don't think I'd take a credit for anything right now, the way things are going in this country. Well, they, uh, they dangle a 5% credit on next year. or And the Cubs are even saying, uh, you can buy more tickets for 2020 and we'll give you 5% off. It's like, are you crazy? I have tickets that I'm not using. And then they, 
they also offer that credit for the 2020 postseason. It's like everybody's living in two different worlds. And, uh, you know, it's not surprising that MLB is trying to uh, protect it. But the real, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're an upfront ownership group or Major League Baseball, it's like we're giving everybody their money back and uh, we'll give you, uh, you know, no matter what happens, a 5% cut next year for the inconvenience that everybody suffered. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I understand they probably, they probably want to do their best to show that there's some kind of revenue for this year, but um, you know, it's only a technicality. That's that the, the whole uh, financial part of things that's, that's out of my league. So, <laughs> but it's uh, it's a crazy situation for sure that, that each club has their own option for stuff right now. But, you know, I, I mean, I get it. You know, and the other thing is nobody, nobody wants to say it's done. Right. Cause it's not. And so you can't act like it is. We just have to, we just kind of have to keep going, man. This is, this is the challenge. Can you keep going at this, at this pace? Well, we're two months in, it feels like anyway, it's probably a little less than that, but. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to hit the cough button and pause this beautiful lighter side of baseball for a minute. <laughs> we are back on the lighter side of baseball, and I can't remember a segment that's less light than what we just did, but God love us. There's nothing else to talk about except that we have Craig Kashan, the pregame and postgame star of the Milwaukee Brewers, and we're going to talk about the pitching staff for what we assume to be the 2020 season because – I saw a lot of guys from your staff that are now on different teams, and I was a little, little uh, shocked. But tell me about the tell me about some of the departures and uh, some of the guys that are still around from last year that you think will have uh, good seasons if we ever play. Well, it is. It really was an eye-opening offseason as far as putting together their starting rotation because for a team that that made the the wild card playoff. Um, and lost, so they did get the one playoff game, and their starting pitching uh, was not outstanding. It was it was very mediocre as a staff, you know, to trade away two starters um, in Anderson and Zach Davies. That that really was eye popping. It's like who's trading away starting pitching right now for a team that only needs to get better, and um, but they did that. And they went out and got uh, uh, Brett Anderson. So they did replace the Anderson with an Anderson. Uh, Josh Lindblom and, um, and Eric Lauer. And, and right now, uh, together with um, Woodruff, Brandon Woodruff, who's uh, blossoming into being the ace of the Brewer staff, uh, they've also got Adrian Hauser and, and Freddie Peralta. So suddenly they've got, six pitchers vying for five spots. And if the season does get underway, I think a lot of teams are going to have six starters, six or seven starting pitchers that they're going to use because I don't think any of these guys are going to be ready to go much more than four or five innings in a game for the first month anyway. Right. But, um, but I think, you know, I think the biggest thing is they, the guys that they traded and uh, that departed were guys that were going to cost them um, some significant, significant money. And the guys that, uh, that are now new to the team are probably the same pitchers, the same success, but are costing 
uh, the brewers far less money and still have uh, team control. So um, it's interesting. They've got, you know, Brandon Woodruff and, and Freddie Peralta right now are our guys to watch. They actually gave Freddie Peralta a five-year deal during training camp to buy out all his arbitration years. Uh, he just turned 22. Um, he's got a big upside to him. So they're, they're, this is one of the guys that has a lot of potential. And I think um, with some money up front um, and some security over a number of years, they hope that that's the way to develop this guy. So he's not, you know, thinking he's looking over his back all the time or fighting for his life, you know, trying to make a living. So it's an interesting scenario, but that's, that's how, that's part of the small market mentality over the last few years. Yeah. I was surprised they gave up on Zach Davies. He's had a, you know, injury plagued last couple of years, but he's got, I mean, he looks like he's 12 and he's probably only 23, 24. Um, and then I thought, how do you get rid of Chase Anderson? You know, it was Davies, Anderson, Woodruff, Peralta. That's a pretty good rotation. So I'm, I was a little surprised that it sounded like the Brewers went to, uh, you know, a Band-Aid approach when they were just so close to getting into the full playoff season. And I would have expected more movement uh, from the Brewers in, uh, in going into September than they had. But, um, you know, it's a, funny, it's a funny world. It's a funny sport. You guys also gave up a couple relievers that uh, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but it seemed like he pitched every day in September. Yeah, they they went through uh, they went through quite a stretch of um, of relievers, uh, and and now you know now that that bullpen's kind of reshaped a little bit because of the fact that you have uh, we've got Hater obviously at the back end. Um, and, and there's, uh, Corbin Burns is another name to watch because he, he was targeted to be a starting pitcher. And I think that he still is going to be a starting pitcher, but, um, here's another guy that, you know, this, they're, they're trying to get the comfort level back for a guy that's got a huge upside, like, uh, like Freddie Peralta right now. And he is, he is a starting pitcher. He's got, uh, all the right pitches, all, all the mixes that, uh, that any starting pitcher, you know, needs to be really successful. Um, but he just had a really, really down year last year compared to the year before. And, and part of that process for this young guy has been, you know, and for some of these young guys, do you want to, do you want to pitch in the majors? If you're a starting pitcher in a small market right now, it might be out of the bullpen for a year. And that was the case with Burns and he shined, uh, did a great job during their their playoff run uh, back in eighteen and in nineteen and stuff, and then and then nineteen last year was uh, he you know he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with any effectiveness. So, um, but those are the things you risk, you know, with with certain players, you, you, especially with pitching. You know this, Jamie. It takes several years to develop really good pitchers you know there there are very few guys are going to come out of the gates none of them are hardly going to be 18 or 19 anymore and um you know then you then you're lucky to get a a college pitcher who's uh, got the right stuff to transition into being a successful major league pitcher and they used to take their time with them too but if they're if you went to college 
and you're not in the majors anymore within a year or two, you're kind of, you kind of slide right down the, you know, the, the rankings within your system and, you know, somebody else is going to take your spot. So, um, that, that's been their approach the last few years as we've seen. Well, I think one of your guys from the bullpen, uh, is really ready to take on stardom and a perennial all-star, and that's Jeremy Jeffress. I mean, that guy is ready to, to blossom, don't you think? Well, Jeremy Jeffress is one of the guys that uh, that is gone. Oh, you're kidding. Who do you go no, with? You're, you're probably thinking of Josh Hader. No, I'm thinking Jeffress with the Cubs, buddy. I'm not no. thinking about anybody but <laughs> Jeffress. So, with so the you Cubs think is, he's going to blossom on. with the Cubs. All so, right. Oh, I my gotcha. God. I mean. For a minute, people are thinking this is a podcast about the Brewers. <laughs> well, it was up until now. That's true. <laughs> now, Suter and Hayter and, you know, nobody uses their bullpen more than uh, more than uh, counsel without getting criticized. Martinez, his first year, overused people like Sammy Solis. And I know Dusty, man. He's, you know, everybody that had a bad arm that pitched for Dusty, it's all Dusty's fault. But Council, he's so nice, comes across so, uh, such a, you know, uh, kind of like Opie in uh, Mayberry. And uh, nobody gets down on Council for overusing everybody. Or maybe I should say for properly using and understanding his bullpen. <laughs> but he, uh, uh, you know, three three hitter limit is going to alter his style a little bit, but you know, not too much. Well, it, yeah. And he's not in favor of that at all at, at all. Um, never has been that, that'll be another interesting thing when baseball gets back going again is uh, are some of these new rules going to take place? Are they going to wait for a full season for that? But yeah. are they going to use a yeah. robot up and can you, yeah. first? can you steal first? Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, you know, getting back to the getting back, I think it's an interesting point you bring up because you're old school to me when it comes to how managers manage their club. And I'm going to I'm going to take I'm going to take that and look on the other side of where some of these teams like the Brewers over the last few years in in Tampa Bay. um, I think it's more than just the manager. I think I think there's uh, a unison of general manager and manager and scouts and uh, especially on the pitching side most of these clubs now are using pitching coordinators uh, within the system separate from what you see as a pitching coach and part to me what what's what's happening is we're, we're seeing a development of a system rather than we are, um, yeah, I've got the same, you know, eight guys in the bullpen that I've had all year and it's how I'm using them. It, it's, I mean, the Brewers have used, have had 50 plus players on their roster at some point for the last three or four years in a row. I mean, whoever would think that we would uh, double our 25 man roster by the end of the season. And that really has nothing to do with September call-ups because, for that, for that organization, September call-ups are the same guys that they've been shuffling back and forth, you know, all year. So yeah, but it's, it's become more of a system, I think, than it is, uh, you know, Dusty Baker certainly isn't Craig Council, that's for sure. 
but I don't think, you know, Dusty's been part of his system yet. Well, he's about to, to learn analytics from uh, the king of analytics, and the Brewers are right there, too. Um, you know, you do have options in, in that antiquated system that Major League Baseball has lived with, you know, back when the reserve clause was in. Now these options, you know, you have a limited number of <laughs> options. But when your options are up, you know, and you're not a stud, that you, that's going to lead to your release. I'm surprised the Players Association hasn't addressed that in more, uh, you know, during some of these uh, uh, negotiations dealing with the collective bargaining agreement because I know that that affected uh, Sammy Solis for for interest in the uh, with the uh, Nationals. So I don't know the 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 I go back to Willie Mays. You throw the ball, I hit the ball. You hit the ball, I catch the ball. Uh, obviously, things are different now, and uh, you know, is the game better now than it was 50 years ago? I don't think so, but. I am old school. I don't like four-hour ball games. I don't like three-hour ball games. I don't like <laughs> two-to-one games. And, uh, you know, I'm probably uh, a dinosaur when it comes to that. Hey, dinosaur, do you like uh, day games over night games? Oh, totally. I, I like pitchers batting. I like day games. I like real scheduled doubleheaders. I like Ladies Day, where all ladies get in free. Way back, then. <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear that. I mean, baseball was, you know, the golden ages, and 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 I asked somebody, I said, you know, why is it that during my golden age of baseball, teams struggled to uh, get a million people through the turnstiles, charging three dollars a ticket, and now even adjusted for inflation and current value of dollars. You know, the more expensive the uh, experience is, the higher the total attendance seems to go. I don't know. Do you? Why do you think that is? I don't know. That's a that's that's an interesting point you bring up. Uh, I don't know. It it is interesting. It, are, are we being told that this is uh, something very special and it doesn't matter what it costs you? You need to be a part of it. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't, you know, there's a lot of. I mean, there's a, of, a theory to that, of course. A lot of people think it's boring. A lot of people think it's way too long. I mean, you can watch one and a half NFL games on Sunday in the time it takes for a division playoff game. And um, is that good or bad? I mean, is that really something that the that Major League Baseball likes? Because the longer it goes, the more beer you sell. The um, the broadcast rights go up as the ratings for Fox go down. On the I'm talking about the postseason. Um, I talked to Dwayne Stats about why in the world don't you guys get to do half of the game on television during the playoffs instead of you know the guys from TBS or the guys from wherever. And um, I'm certainly not on the uh, wavelength of Major League Baseball because these guys just seem to like revenue streams as opposed to keeping the sport interesting through the years. And I think that they really risk losing generation after generation. And uh, like I said, nobody's asked me, but I think that, um, you know, they got they had problems that you and I talked about before COVID showed up. 
Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing about, you know, what we're talking about with, you know, money and, and the revenue and, you know, trying to get, you know, as many clicks on social media or whatever it might be, you know, all these, all these teams, uh, I mean, all these pro sports leagues, I, I think baseball and, um, and the NBA and, and the NFL have made such a strong push, although quiet, to be global. And, you know, when you're taking teams once in a while and going to Mexico to play or, or what last year, the year before, the Yankees and Red Sox played a series in London, um, they, they're making a lot of money globally in a lot of different ways that don't show up, you know, during, during a game. And I, I don't think for whatever reason, the length of the game is, is not, not as big a concern because it's been addressed, but the way it's been addressed has nothing to do really with cutting the time down. I mean, you can't spend all this time that, that it appears that baseball has done to try to cut the, a couple of minutes off of a three hour and 28 minute game. If that's what the average is, who cares if it's down to three twenty-five? Right. You're you know? so correct. You're so correct. You yeah. know, and it, and they spend a lot of time trying to convince people that, and there's no reason to, I, I don't care what anybody says. The last thing I want to see is a computer calling balls and strikes. Right. I, that's the last thing I want to see. And, and you can't tell me that's going to save the game. Um, or, or make it more accurate? Is it really going to make it that much more accurate? Um, I'll tell you uh, what makes it – what speeds up the game is to – and I've said this a thousand times. The, the thing that speeds up the game is an umpire that calls strikes, period. Absolutely. It happened – I saw talk to you about it in spring training. It happens all over the world. You know, there are a, there are a few umpires that – you know, call the strikes and the game keeps moving. And by God, the players are going to adjust. On the money side, the owners want to make money. The, the league wants to make money. The Big Ten wants to make money. The uh, players now in the uh, college sports want to get endorsements. The Mike Trouts of the world, and I don't begrudge any of these guys, want to make money, maximize their, their um, dollar value. But does, that, does any of that help me, the fan? Does it help me that they're going to play football in Barcelona? Does it help me that they want to get the, the uh, Asian uh, crowd into baseball? No, it doesn't help me a bit. Does it help me that they're on social media all the time trying to you know, pump up the number of hits so that they get paid on whatever? No, it doesn't benefit me. All I want to do is go to a baseball game, drink a beer, eat a hot dog, keep score, and watch a game that moves along like Mark Burley pitched. Other than that, man, I don't have much of a wish list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the greatest thing is you are a season ticket holder for two major league teams. That, that's even the best I, part about it all. My best day is going over to Milwaukee with you to see the Cub game, get there at 10 o'clock when you get there for a night game, wander around the field with you, wander around the, the field when you're getting ready for your show, watching you do your show, and then go into the press box and having the game end, you know, by 9 o'clock so I can get back to Chicago by 11. That's it. That's the perfect day. Have a couple of <laughs> so breaths, a couple of beers. That game must have started at 4 o'clock and not 7. <laughs> <laughs>
not true. And now, if these guys are going to not go as long into the game, you know, which they typically don't do, and if you if you change this rule, if you said that no longer do pitchers have to go five innings to get the win, that it's up to the official scorer, so that if you're up eight to nothing and the manager wants to take you out, which, by the way, I'm just thinking out loud, I think that saves a whole lot of wear and tear on pitchers. Then I think that um, maybe we have an extra pitching change. But to me, um, I'm all for keeping these good pitchers healthy. That's, to me, the name of the game. Now, I'm not sure what I've said that might be contradictory to something else, but I kind of like my idea that you don't have to go five innings for getting a win. I, I have, in the last five, six, seven years, think that that is really one of the dumbest things that they keep going uh, as far as the tradition of the game and, and scorekeeping and um, making things official. I, I've never understood that, especially with the point that, uh, you know, most major league clubs don't have one single pitcher the entire season a starter that would, you know, if you're starting 30, 31, 32, 33 regular season games, that means you have not missed a start all year. Right. And most teams don't have a single starter that has pitched a complete game for one. And a lot of those guys, and you got teams like Milwaukee, I'm talking about some of the players that uh, some of the starting pitchers that they traded away, we talked about on average, pitch less than five innings a start and what if they're ahead what if the team ends up winning the game and the score never changes because they left uh, after four and two-thirds innings why wouldn't they why can't they get the win that that doesn't make any sense to me why would you award a win by a rule for a relief pitcher to come in in the fifth to finish the last out and then use three pitchers say in the sixth seventh and eighth inning if you're the home team and one of those relief pitchers gets awarded the win when the team was never behind. Uh, something like that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and how many pitchers through 200 innings? Five? <clears throat> Not many. Maybe five? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, we have different perspectives, obviously, and you, um, you, know, you derive your income from the stuff happening, and, um, and I – I would trade places with you in a minute, but I'm on the other side, eating a hot dog, drinking a beer and trying to trying to find people that want to go to the game. You know, it's hard. One of the reasons I went from four tickets to two, but improved my location tremendously for a season that I'll never see. But be that as it may, it got hard to get people to go to Wrigley Field. And, you know, I, I know that, we won't get too far into this with you, but I know in talking with some of the front office people that the brewers, you know, if you take their average price of a ticket times their 2 million people that they draw, uh, they're giving away some, some dinero. And I think probably the small market teams have to do that to get these guys in the door, sell them concessions and have something to, um, demonstrate with their local local uh, network deals. You know, um, if you've got 200,000 people in the ballpark, you're probably not going to have a lucrative little market TV contract. That'd be my guess. 
I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So switch. I don't know could, either. It's, 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 you know, the whole, the whole thing's, you know, tricky with, uh, you know, with what the, the television rights for small market teams and small market teams don't want to be called small market teams. Cause they're, they're saying, well, like the brewers, you know, you said 2 million they're they're actually more in the, towards the 3 million range and have been for the last, you know, four or five years. And that's pretty impressive. And, but let's face it, when a game is scheduled at a place like Miller Park, you have the dome. There's right. never going to be a rain delay. You know when the game's going to start. It's going to start when it's scheduled to start. And four, four and a half hours later, it's going to be over. And then you can go home. So, well, um, and, you know, so. that's why they all ought to have roofs over them that retract like, like Miller Park, which is the best stadium that I've ever seen or heard about in terms of the climate indoors versus the climate outdoors and the ability to get your roof open during the game, before the game, after the game, based on the weather. I mean, it just is a phenomenon that the city is to be commended on and, and the fan base, you know, ought to, ought to uh, regard that highly as opposed to sitting in April and May in Wrigley Field or whatever they call Comiskey Park. But <laughs> um, so speaking of Comiskey Park, I, I did uh, probably the only podcast which could have gotten into Stephen A. Smith territory, but I didn't because I really don't want to do that. But I did a podcast with Jason Grimsley. For the listeners, Grimsley pitched in professional baseball for 22 years, of which 16 were in the major leagues. And I think he won 50 games, maybe. I mean, he started for a while, relieved. The guy, you know, you got to be really good to hang on for 22 years. Boy, you ain't kidding. Really good. And he joked, you know, at the end, <clears throat> the Yankees moved him into the bullpen, and the pitching coach said, uh, don't think about looking for signs because you're only going to throw one pitch, and that's your fastball. And um, through the use of uh, self-admitted human growth hormones, he got his heater up over 100, you know, near the end of his career, the fine logic. But he talked about – Going, you know, when Albert Bell had a cork bat incident, the umpire stole his bat, put it in the umpire room at, at uh, Comiskey Park or whatever it was called back then. And Jason, to his credit in the podcast, went into excruciating detail how he crawled through cinder block walls to get his teammates' bat back. And uh, the only one that knew about it was Bud Black, the pitching coach, and Mike Hargrove, the manager, who gave the green light for him to go do it. He, he says that he finally got caught and he gets summons to New York to meet with Commissioner Selig and he walks in thinking he's going to get, you know, suspended. And uh, according to Jason, uh, Selig goes, Jason, I'm not going to suspend you. I'm not going to fine you. I just want you to tell me how you did it. And he said by the end of the meeting, Selig was just cracking up over the deal. And so now whether... You know, whether Selig would agree with that rendition, I don't know. But uh, that was funny. And then he talked about why he got into um, human growth hormones and um, said that he did it basically, paraphrasing, because 
baseball treated you like an, like a horse or a piece of cattle, a piece of whatever you want to refer to. And when you're done, you're done. And, and so he was going to use whatever he could use to extend his career. And uh, he wasn't alone, that's for sure. But amazing, you know, he was implicated in the Mitchell Report. He was implicated as kind of starting the Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit investigation. And he, he says 20 FBI guys show up at his doorstep, drag him out, drag him downtown, want him to wear a wire. And he says, I never, I never, I never ratted out anybody. So that's, uh, that was kind of an interesting, different kind of podcast from, you know, just talking about fun stuff like you and I do. Well, it's, uh, it sounds a, a lot more revealing than uh, anything I've ever given you here over the last almost two months. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> That's no, good no. stuff. You know what? Here's the thing about that, though, is there, you know, when guys are done playing, um, they choose one path or the other. And what I'm talking about there is some guys are very revealing on what their careers were like that weren't revealing for the entire time they played. And it's really kind of interesting all of a sudden, you know, for a guy that you, you couldn't have gotten anything out of in 22 years of playing baseball. And then, and then he's done and he's got a lot to say all of a sudden. It's all the stuff that, you know, a lot of players are, are clearly not going to reveal. And, um, and it's really interesting because, you know, these, these stories are probably very true. Right. Um, it's, just, it's just rare to actually hear a guy that went through those, I don't know if you want to call them wars or whatever it is, uh, but, um, you know, he, 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 they needed, I, I can tell right now, you know, in that era, they needed some guys to go into the commissioner's office and, and not get suspended and, and not get reprimanded. They, he needed to hear certain details of certain things. And, you know, it was, um, it sure was a, a long time process that they went through, you know, to try to rid steroids uh, the way that we saw it, you know, over the last decade. No, that's right. And then Jason became the Royals player rep in his, uh, uh, time with the Royals, and interestingly, you know, he was he was really known as a hardliner in the union stuff with Donald Fear and Weiner and those guys taking on uh, uh, Major League Baseball at, at a time when there were you know uh, labor stops. And he was saying, you know what, I wasn't gonna, I was not going to be a part of letting them take back anything that the Kurt Floods and the Measure Smiths were able to get for me and for my family and for the guys playing in the future. And I think that more than anything is the, uh, uh, the, the feeling of the major league guys, the union in baseball has just, or whatever you want to call it, has really um, held together through thick and thin and, um, you know, even I, I asked him, you know, back then there were still a few guys that were making more money than everybody else. And, you know, you have some grumblings from guys now that are making money that kind of don't take the union way. And he said, nah, at the end of the day, no matter what they were making, no matter who they were, everybody got in line together. And, um, you know, it's cool. He was certainly busy for 22 years. He's actually funny, sort of a funny guy, but a uh, good guy and a good friend of Nelly's. And speaking of Nelly, I remember Nelly going, I won't name the name of the outfielder for the Brewers who's no longer playing. And he said, you know, back back in not too long ago, there were 
just jars of greenies and whatever other kind of amphetamines. And he goes, you see that guy over there? He goes, yeah, he couldn't play back-to-back night games without the greenies. And I'm sure that was, that was probably, you know, it was there, it was accessible. And uh, I'm glad for one anyway, that baseball seems to have gotten out of it. But, you know, Grimsley said, look, you know, the money is so big now, I guarantee there are guys that are still trying to figure out how to do it. Well, I'm sure it is. It's, it's uh, the game within the game. I mean, it is. Everybody, everybody knows that's how it rolls. And, you know, you can, have, you can have one big bust of a certain, you know, whether it's a, the steroid era or whatever, uh, but it's, you know, it's all part of the game within the game. And it, there's too much money to be made by, you know, and it doesn't always have to be the superstar guys either. It's, it's the guys that are trying to get into the league and stay for even a couple of years or guys that have played forever and it's, it's all they know and it's, it's what they do and they don't want to give it up because physically they don't feel like they have to. So where can I get some help to stay there? So, you know, there's, it's, it's going to be continuing. That's for sure. And you know, it's, uh, it's just interesting to hear those. Those are, I mean, those are good stories. If you're a baseball fan, you've been around for a while. Those are good stories to hear from a guy like Grimsley. Yeah. It was, as we've talked about, it's hard to do a interview with a guy that's not standing next to you, I think. And of course, we were socially distancing by about uh, 1,100 miles. But um, after reflecting on, on the show today, I'm thinking of changing the name to the darker, sadder, miserable side of baseball because <laughs> we start out with a horrible situation our country finds itself in in the pandemic, and we uh, wrap it up with. Uh, getting back into steroids. The only thing we didn't talk about were the cheating champs, but that's for another day. Hey, when we get together next, hopefully Major League Baseball will have embarked on a schedule that gets spring training going again and uh, somehow contemplates fans getting to see some games. But, uh, you know, one can only hope. One can only hope that you get back to work soon. Well, you got that right, and and I got to believe that um, in you know in the next two weeks we're going to know a lot more about the um, willingness of Major League Baseball to get going again and and start implementing some of the plans that you know that they already have uh, at the ready, and um, you know hopefully it's going to be some positive news here. That that's the way I will end. We've had well, some uh, downers, but uh, I think that's going to be one of the positives. <laughs> well, um, here's here's the here's antithesis to the downer. My production staff has told me that we'll take Mother's Day off next Sunday and pick it up again on the uh, 17th of May with a report that the uh, Marysville, Marysville is opening up and the players are going to be reporting if they haven't. I, I don't know if they even left, but. We'll pick it up in uh, two weeks from today, buddy. Have a good Mother's Day. Have a good, uh, have a good uh, safe uh, time in your neighborhood. Get out, and uh, we will talk in two weeks if that works for you. Unless you're going to be, you know, off on some, uh, uh, you know, assignment covering baseball. No, we'll we'll do the Mother's Day uh, here at the house, and like we've done every other day here at the house for the last two months. But it'll be a special one because. My wife is taking care of my boys, and she deserves uh, a day of recognition like all the other moms uh, out there for sure. So we'll take it off, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again on the 17th. Well, that sounds like a deal for Craig Kashan. This is Jamie Rutsky on the uh, somewhat lighter side of baseball. I hope there was something light in there, and we will uh, talk again soon. 